1: Welcome back to Working Overtime, the West Side story of practical advice to regular workings, Romeo and Juliet, which on reflection might not be an apt comparison, but Isaac will tell me one day. I'm June Thomas.
2: Forsooth, I am Isaac Butler.
1: <laughs> Isaac, I haven't seen you in, well, ages. What have you been up to?
2: What have I been up to? Uh, getting towards the end of the semester. Oh. So about to have a bunch of papers that I got a grade. Oh. I've been, uh, you know, doing some Thanksgiving stuff, <laughs> things of that nature. Now we're sliding into Christmas. Gonna see Phantom of the Opera this weekend, you know, Oh that my sort of goodness. Stuff. Take, take that
1: last chance. All right. <laughs> take
2: that last Well, my daughter's never seen it and it was the first Broadway musical I ever saw. So, you know, there you go. What about you, June? How are you? I am swell. Thank you. Oh, well, great. And what are we talking about today?
1: So we are taping this episode in December, and it will air in December, but nevertheless, we're going to talk about NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, which officially kind of happens in November. But I didn't want to talk about it then, because all the Nano NaNoWriMoers were heads down on their novels. However, during that month, Slate published a really fun piece about that fine institution. And I loved it so much, I wanted to invite the author, Vanessa Zoltan, to join us to talk about it. And she said yes.
2: Yes, let's get right to it. Vanessa, welcome to Working Overtime.
1: Thank you for having me. So let's start with a couple of basic questions. How is NaNoWriMo supposed to work? How many times have you attempted it? And have you always won, which I'm also going to need you to define?
3: (laughs) The most important thing that I am going to say today is the following, which is I have no official affiliation with NaNoWriMo. No one has threaten to sue me for this, but I just want to make sure that that is abundantly clear. So Nanarimo is a commitment for a group of people. You don't have to sign your name and blood or anything. You just sort of decide to write 50,000 words of a novel in a month, which comes to approximately 1,667 words a day. The idea of winning, which is not a term that I feel totally comfortable with, I have very ambivalent feelings about it, is that you write 50,000 words in a month. And my understanding is that it's actually like a pretty small nonprofit organization and that social media has really allowed this to take off in an exciting way. And they just do like some writing programming. But at this point, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people participate in this every year. Amazing! And you've done it, right? I have. I've been doing it for the last couple of years. I did it the first time. I started a little bit late that year, but after Trump was elected. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. I was like, I need to spend time in a fictional world where this is not happening. (laughs)
2: <laughs> the title of your slate piece was don't just write a novel this november write a bad novel which is an admirably clear summation of its thesis <laughs> statement now i i don't know if you saw but there was also a piece in the guardian recently where a writer revisited his nanowrimo book from last year it's very very that. charming because he discovered hilariously that it was far far worse than even he had thought it would be. He was like, I'm sure this is going to be bad. And then he read it and he was like, this is unreadable garbage. Anyway, what you're saying is, hey, maybe that's not a bad thing. Could you unpack your thinking about this a bit? Why are you encouraging the public to write bad novels?
3: I mean, there are a couple of things. So I'm an atheist chaplain by trade. That is what I am trained to do in the world. And I think that... We haven't figured out how to live in modern society well yet, and so practicing imagination seems like a really good thing to do, and imagining a better world seems like a really good thing to do. Ursula K. Le Guin is my favorite writer on these topics, and I could misquote her for a long time, (laughs) but essentially she says, we never imagine ourselves into prison, we imagine ourselves into freedom. Mm. And so encouraging people to be rigorous and practiced and ritualistic about imagination for a month, just as far as like someone who explores secular, practices and trying to make them sacred is a really intriguing to me. There's like discipline to it. There's faith to it. There are all these like different components of what makes something sacred. And so like spend time in your imagination and then like resist capitalism by not thinking about how sellable it's going to be. I think that over the last I don't want to put a decade on it, but like certainly in my lifetime, my grandmother made all of my clothes Mm. and she was an incredible crocheter and I have pillows that she hand sewed and, you know, and she did it because she loved it. And I feel like now we do everything for Instagram and, and for Etsy and we're just training ourselves to commodify every single thing that we do. And I think it's really great to have somewhere to practice not doing that. And this goal is so ridiculously ambitious that, like, you could try to commodify it eventually, but not if you just do it over the 30 days. Yeah. So, Vanessa,
1: I just want to be clear. Like, so you're a writer. You're a writing teacher. You're an incredibly engaged reader. I know you're not actively pulling for junk to be created and put (laughs) out into the world. So, like... Talk more about how you balance your dislike of, you know, the commodification aspects of NaNoWriMo with your love of quality writing. Like,
3: Well, don't try to put it out into the world, right? Okay. Like, And I just think it's okay to do some things just for ourselves. I think as soon as you try to put it out into the world, even in the fan fiction world, which I am a huge fan like, advocate for fan fiction, I think that the standards have to change. But if you are doing it entirely for you, you know, especially I, the class that I'm teaching in conjunction with Nana NaNoWriMo is about writing a romance novel. And so we want people to be exploring their sexuality and exploring what turns them on and what they think, like, radical love is and what a happily ever after could look like, including, you know, my favorite Regency romance novel, a man changes a law so his wife can own his own business, right? Like, I want big imagination time, but I think a second draft and a much more rigorous draft has to happen if you're going to put it out into the world.
2: Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, you've won NaNoWriMo I you have. Know, some some number of times, although as you already also said, that's a term you obviously have some ambivalent feelings about. Does doing NaNoWriMo feel different from other writing that you sit down to do, you know, what what's the personal experience for you like of having to, what is that? That's about 1,500 words a day for
3: 1667. a 1667. Okay, there you go. Sorry, 1,600.
2: <laughs> Thank you. What for you is the difference between, you know, sitting down to write the piece you wrote for Slate, for example, versus, okay, I've got to hit my 1,667 words today?
3: Well, the big one is that it can be really bad. We actually have a sticker with our class called No Time for Honor. You know, one of the pieces of advice that one of our guest faculty, Michaela Bly taught, is like, if you are halfway through your book and you've realized that you don't like any of it, then write the sentence, he woke up from a dream and realized none of that was true, and start (laughs) over. Um, So, right, like, there's just no shamelessness. There's also, there's like something like Jackson Pollock about it, right? Like you're just getting thoughts onto the page and therefore there's no pressure. Whereas I sit down to write asleep. Piece And, you know, I sit down and I outline it and I structure it and I send it to my editor, the brilliant Marissa Martinelli and write like we negotiate back and forth, whereas nobody is going to read what I write. And so I don't even have to do research. I can make a list of fictional characters like my first character, Naomi Green. She had eight brothers. The brothers' names and ages changed all the time because who cared? I'm like, that's just not what I usually get to do. You get to be sloppy. Like, how many places in your life do you actually get to be sloppy these days?
1: Oh, my goodness. That is so true. We have more questions for you, Vanessa, but we're going to hold off for just a second and talk to you some more after this.
0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Hey listeners, have you done NaNoWriMo? Did you find it useful, fun, frustrating? What did you get out of it? Get in touch and share your experiences. You can email us at working at slate.com, or even better, you can call us and leave a message, a voicemail, at 304 933 9675. That's 304 933 W O R K. Okay, we're back. Vanessa, I, I I realize I'm like a dog with a bow and I keep returning to this thing. But you know, you've done nanoRimo multiple times. And I just wonder, do you think it's an exercise that you think benefits from multiple attempts? Or are there diminishing returns? And here I should mention that I did do it once. <gasps> and you I when? More or less. Close enough. Like you know, I, I I could have done the thing that they recommend in the NaNoWriMo book, which is like, you know, having somebody get a coughing fit or somebody with a stutter, which honestly it's a little bit off. but So I could have, you know, but I, I was very close. Yeah. And the thing about it was that I absolutely loved the experience because I had never, ever written fiction. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely amazed myself by being able to just invent things. Just like, you know, I would sit down there, Wednesday it had been one thing, Thursday it had just gone somewhere else. And it came out of my head and that absolutely amazed me at the same time. yeah, Like, okay, I'm not, I did it. And I, that was interesting. And I was really glad to learn that about myself, but I, yeah. I'm not particularly drawn to do it again because ultimately I don't think I'm a novelist. I don't know that I would be impressed with with my powers of invention if I did it a second time. So for you, like, is it different every time? How How is the repetitive aspect of it?
3: So first of all, Marissa cut this part from my article for words and also, cause she said, I love sincere Vanessa, but she's pretty <laughs> sappy. And so I'm just gonna go sappy now, right? Like again, as a chaplain, it's about handing yourself over to the ritual of it right? And like just believing that time spent in your imagination is in and of itself good. That, you know, Simone Weil, the French theologian would say that love is attention and attention is prayer. And so like paying concerted attention for one month to something silly, it just works on us in some way. And you have to sort of have faith in that in order for that to work on you, not to sound like I'm talking about the secret, but like you have to believe like this is worth some time. I'm learning about my brain. I'm learning about my desires. I'm learning about the world. You know, it sounds to me like you, June, (laughs) It surprised yourself, right? Right, I'm like, that's a fun thing to do, to surprise yourself. Once, you know, I'll speak for myself, like once I'm in middle age, I'm like, this is kind of nice to know that there are (laughs) things I didn't know about me. And I'll just say, you know, as I said, the first time I wrote, I really wrote to escape the world that I was living in. The second yeah. time I wrote, it was, like, very revenge-y. Um I had family members misbehaving, and so I wrote a family drama in which they all got their comeuppance. And, you know, like, that was super <laughs> satisfying. And now I just wrote one of my favorite genres in romance is celebrity regular person love. And so I just wrote one of those. Oh, my god! So goodness. fun. Wow. So... Like I I think it depends on where you are in your life, but I do think it can be a gift that keeps on giving. And it's so fun in the same way that like an exercise class is more fun than going on a run in that you can say to your family, I'm going to my dance class, right? Whereas if you're going on a run, your family can be like, wait, five more minutes, help me with this. But if you're like, okay, I'm going for my hour and a half of writing time, month of November, leave me alone. People like they would respect that more. Wow.
2: Vanessa, in your slate piece, you mentioned that in a romance writing workshop, you co-teach, you tell your students, just keep typing. Yeah. Why? What is the matter with editing as you go?
3: Well, so just keep typing or just keep writing, right, is comes from, I mean, from a lot of things, but Julia Cameron talks about it in her book, The Artist's Way. I'm not a big user of The Artist's Way, but there's this belief in morning pages that we can just unlock ourselves by continuing to write. And so if you just keep writing, my name is Isaac and I am bored. My name is Isaac and I am bored. (laughs) Eventually you'll be like bored, boring, right? Like you're gonna get yourself through it. And again, it's just about like, belief that you're not going to be stuck in something forever, which I feel like that's what despair is, right? Like that's Dante's first level of hell is the idea of being stuck somewhere forever. And so by keeping going, you're proving to yourself that you never get stuck anywhere forever and that eventually you will stop typing Isaac is bored (laughs) and instead, you know, type Vanessa is boring, <laughs> which is mean, Isaac. I don't know why you would go there.
2: Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. It just hit me. You
3: know? <laughs> it's where the words took you. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So I have
1: one last question about yes. NaNoWriMo itself. As we've established, there are not a lot of rules. Mm, yeah. You know, you don't even have to do it in November. I did not when I did it. Um, and honestly, I don't know.
2: Why? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you don't even have to do it in November? You just have to do it in a
1: month. It has to be a calendar month. And Back
2: in my day, <laughs>
1: yeah. when we walked uphill to school yeah. Yeah. Both, both ways yeah. in yeah. a
2: foot of snow, yeah. you did NaNoWriMo in November. Thank you very much.
1: And I'm no fool. I don't, I'm not going to do it in a 30-day month with <laughs> with holidays in it. Get out of here.
3: Wow. But, Smart. June is an overachiever and was like, Fuck y'all, I can do it in February in a non-leap year.
1: (laughs) Do it, baby, yeah. You see right through me. I do. But you do have to do it in a calendar month, whether that is November or February. Do you think that time constraint is actually useful?
3: Oh, absolutely. Otherwise... You're just writing a novel and you fall into the despair of trying to make it good. And, you know, and that's a whole other thing. But, you know, we actually really resist in our class using the words first draft. Mm. It can be a first shitty draft that then you turn into a good second draft. But, like, it doesn't have to be a draft. You can Mm -hmm. write this and trash it. Mm. It's, again, like, it's about the process of engaging and, like, playing in your imagination and practicing being happy in a space where you're not gonna commodify it. It's just for you. No one's gonna judge you, right? Like again, I think it's just more and more important in a time of social media where we are constantly curating for external approval to do something that other people would hate.
2: Yeah. Mm. But what if you live for approval? (laughs) I mean what if outside validation is all you have? What if it's I mean uh, you know
3: Mm. then I you know I hope you have a golden retriever (laughs) and don't do (laughs) NanoRimo.
2: So we're going to talk a little bit more about all of this after these messages.
4: Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets.
2: So as we mentioned, you teach writing. And before we go, I'd just love to know, what's a favorite book about the craft of writing? You know, when people say, what should I read to become a better writer? What do you tell them?
3: I have two, but I'm going to really talk about one. Alexander (laughs) Chee's book, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, is absolutely incredible. I haven't read it in so long that I can't talk about it specifically. So I chose something that I've read more recently that I love, which is a speech that Zadie Smith gave called That Crafty Feeling. And she is just incredible in this speech slash now essay where she describes that there are sort of two different kinds of writers. There are macro planners and micromanagers, and I am a micromanager according (laughs) to her definition, and – what she really just does is describe the process of writing. So it doesn't prescribe ways for you to write, but she describes the experience of writing a novel for her, how much she's reading while she's writing, where she starts. And she gives little anecdotes about friends of hers, at, when, you know, when she's like, this is how I do my first 25 pages, this is how different types of people do. But it's really just this, like, description of process that I find really brilliant and helpful. And of course, because it's Sadie Smith, charming and wise and funny.
2: That's great. What about you, June?
3: I'm not a big
1: uh, writing process person or craft of writing person. I'm much more likely, as you know, Isaac, to be watching YouTube videos about Zettelkasten or the latest note-taking software. But I am fond of Matt Madden's book, 99 Ways to Tell a Story, Exercises in Style. It's basically like the same situation. A guy is going to a refrigerator and he can't remember why and is literally like different ways of seeing that scene. And it's just really good for kind of reminding you that you can approach things in so many different ways that this the same material can be presented and can be looked at in, in so many different ways. Uh, and there's somebody who can get a little bit stuck I have found it very useful. What about you, Isaac?
2: The two books that I return to a lot are both by Charles Baxter. One is called uh, Burning Down the House, and one is his new book, Wonderlands. Charlie was actually one of my mentors in graduate school, and so now that he's retired it's the next best thing to studying uh with him it's it, both of them are collections of essays each one talking about a sort of peculiar craft thing in fiction that makes fiction work they're incredibly generous it's not really prescriptive it's it's much more descriptive so you know a good example is in in burning down the house he has an essay about you know what he calls talking teapots which is like when when objects are reflecting the emotions of a situation because people people can't you know then the kettle boiled it's like well why did do, why does that happen and, and what's going on with that and in wonderlands which collates together a lot of stuff that he's taught in a bunch of forms including lectures that you can look up on youtube and essays and actually um a seminar in plot that i took with him forms the basis of a lot of the stuff in there it's just filled with all sorts of wonderful things about how plot works mm. and what plot can do and aspects of the plot and the novel they're both really beautiful collections. They're wonderful pieces of writing as well as very wise about writing itself.
3: Can I add one? I'm so sorry. No. Sure. Do it. Go for
2: it. We're maximalists here.
3: Yes. Yeah, so I am in my whole life. This one lives on my desk, and I cannot believe that I didn't mention it. It's called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And it. Gives you – everyone knows Save the Cat, right? It's a screenwriting yeah. book that tells you how to write a script. This, like, brand, Save the Cat, did a novel <laughs> writing one. It has all of the most popular tropes outlined of, like, and then this happens, and then you introduce the B-plot, and then this happens. And so if you are writing a shitty first draft of a novel, it is prescriptive, <laughs> and it's amazing. It's like Mad Libs for adults.
1: <laughs> wow. You know, one thing I both love and hate about this show is it always costs me money. So I'm I'm, I'm so just sorry. about to order a whole bunch of books. So thank you for that. And thank you for a great piece, Vanessa. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. And listeners, you can read her piece, Don't Just Write a Novel This November, Write a Bad Novel in Slate. Vanessa is also the author of the book Praying with Jane Eyre, which is out in paperback Perfect for holiday gift giving. (laughs) It's true. Thank you also to our endlessly inventive producers, Cameron Drews and Kevin Bendis, who between them produce the equivalent of 50,000 words every single week.
2: We'll be back with another episode of Working Overtime in two weeks. And on Sunday, you'll find a regular episode of Working in your feed. Until then, get back to work.